All right. Um, Okay, so Luke chapter 8, if you can read, or if you can open your Bibles to there. This is a very well-known parable, but um, I wanted us to start here because I think it sets us up really well for our study into Luke. So I'm going to get really simple, and I'm going to give you guys just a couple questions and images to talk about when you break up into your small group time. I really want to give you a good chunk of time in your small groups this morning to get to know each other and um, make sure that you're all comfortable with each other and how we're using our study. Um, So I'm really excited about Luke because it's a story, just like we did last semester in Acts. I love when we get to read these stories because it gives us not just in the tiny little detail you know, dissecting of a couple verses, but in the broader, you know, some semesters in past years, we have read like two verses in a day and we're like camping in really small and close in this past semester. And this semester we're doing a broader read. We're reading the scope and the span of the story. And we're trying to grasp what we can take and gather from the bigger picture of what we're reading here. Um, And I like stories. If you know me, I didn't even introduce myself. My name is Katie, and I am the women's ministry director here um, and have been doing this for about five years. Um, So if you have heard me talk with you in the past, you will know that I love story, and I love imagery, and I love picture and um, art. And I'm really excited about Luke because there's so much of that in there. Um, Jesus teaches, a lot of his teaching is in parables, and that's what we're looking at this morning. I want to talk about why Jesus uses parables, the way that we are meant to interact with parables, what the point of them is, how do we approach parables as we read them in this book, because we're going to be reading a number of the different parables that Jesus taught, and I think it is really important that we have the right like rubric by which we approach parables, because There's a way that you can read, I'm sure that a lot of you have heard this before, we can read things in a prescriptive way, like this is the problem, here's the solution, I plug it in like math, and this is what I do, and I get this certain outcome. That's like a prescriptive thing, where everything that we read, we ought to do or not do according to how we read it. And then there's a descriptive way of reading things, where it's just describing. It's describing what happened. It's not actually the commentary on whether it was good or bad or should be copied. It's just describing what happened. And a lot of Luke is like that. It's very descriptive. It's just telling us, this is the story. This is how it went down. This is how it happened. Um, Parables are kind of like that. They're describing something, but they're not just, they're not describing a real event. They're actually telling a story themselves. They're painting a picture. They're kind of more like art in um, the way that they're, that if we take art Okay, I'm going to see if you guys can go here with me. I was thinking about this, and I got way too all up in my head, but I'm going to see if it translates for you. If we think about art, the point of art is that it actually does paint a picture of something bigger than what can actually be summed up in a little word or description, right? So I remember um, a lot of you knew Ellie. They moved on. She was married to uh, Pastor Ed, who used to be here. Uh, They've moved on to plant a church, but she's an artist. And years and years ago, she drew this thing for a youth group shirt, and it was beautiful. It was like 
squiggly. It was all these lines and it came up like this and it, you know, and it had like the, I am the vine, you're the branches line underneath it. It was just this gorgeous, gorgeous rendition of this verse. And the pastor, um, this was at a former church that we were at together. The pastor looks at it and he goes, cool. So like, is it like a tree? And she was like, lividly offended as artists can get because it was so much more than a tree, right? It was this like beautiful picture of the idea of this moving, breathing, viney thing. I mean, yeah, I guess it was a tree if you need to like sum it up into a word, but it was art. It was describing something bigger than that. I feel that way, not about art because I can't draw, but about like, um, movie and storytelling and I am so happy that musicals have made their comeback in the world Um, because for the longest time we went through this like very literal phase with movies and storytelling and it was like um, oh please how ridiculous nobody would like stand up in the middle of a classroom and start singing so we like kind of didn't have a tolerance for musicals for a while but they're coming back and the the point of the musical is like, please raise your hand. Tell me that you saw La La Land or this isn't going to make sense at all. Come on, you guys. Come on. Oh, really? Not that many? Okay. La La Land is just another musical. But here's the thing with it. Like, there's this one scene. It's, a, it's one of the musical numbers. And they're walking up on Hollywood Boulevard or whatever. And they're up above the stars. And they are seeing all the things. And it's like normal, normal. They're just talking. And then all of a sudden, like music starts and they start singing to each other and they start tapping, tap dancing. And it's this whole amazing number that you get swept up in. If you were to take that literally, you'd be like, okay, nobody just like busts out their tap shoes from their purse and starts (laughs) dancing and singing to each other, swinging around light lamp posts. Like that's not real. That's not literal, but that's not the point. If you watch that and you think this is telling me something true about life and relationships and what it's like to fall in love, oh my gosh, it's so true. They're bantering, it's witty, they barely know each other, they're dancing back and forth, but by the end, they've gone, they've progressed in their relationship. It's like that portion of that movie that took place in the three minutes of the song just summed up like the dance we do in the first three to four to years, year of our relationship of falling in love, right? Like it took something that's very real and true, the relationship of getting to know someone and maybe falling in love with them or something. And it just summed it up in a movie that if you were to take it literally and be like, what? So they like danced and sang to each other, it'd lose all the point. It just does this like meh to it when you make it literal. But when you let it paint a picture and be art and be something so much more than you can just describe in a sentence, then we experience it and we feel the truth of it. Parables are meant to be that way. They're meant to be drawn in and experienced and felt. They're, they're painting a picture of something that's very true about life and about the way God intended it even sometimes. But if we just go, okay, so the parable of the seed, well, I think I'm this type and my friend is this type and this equals this and that equals that. Okay, I understand it. It goes like, meh. We lose it, right? Like we lose the the heart of it all and we miss something beautiful that's being expressed. So as we interact with the parables, that's how I want us to do it. I want us to to dive into them and experience them and see the larger 
art and picture that's being described here and not just get so caught up in, okay, do I understand it? And did I, you know, make sure that I got the equation right and figure out who am I in this story necessarily um, every time? Okay, so we're going to practice with this first parable. Um, Luke chapter 8, it is the parable of the sower. And this parable, Jesus is telling them, he's telling the disciples and everybody around, something true about the way that people can interact with the word of God. How do I know that he's talking about the word of God? Well, we're lucky in this parable. The disciples actually come back to Jesus afterwards and be like, why do you talk in parables? I'm so confused. What does it mean? And Jesus explains it to him. So it's the perfect parable to practice on because we don't even have to stress about getting it wrong. We can just enjoy the art of it. Um, And in verse 11, Jesus says to them, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So we have for our box checker, women who want to make sure you get an A+, we know the seed equals God's word. Um, It's funny that um, for some of you, if you were the grow up in church type, I don't know, for me, I don't know why, but for a long time growing up, I read this parable as this like one-time interaction with the gospel and whether I like which kind of soil was I and was I saved or not saved based on how I read this. Um, But the problem with that is that it talks a lot about believing for a little while, falling away. And so I remember in my like high school youth groups getting all spun up and worried about like the whole, can I lose my salvation question and all of this. That's a perfect example of taking this in the really prescriptive, literal way and losing the art of it. Um, Jesus is talking about the word of God and how people at any given time in their lives can interact with it in a different way based on the circumstances of what's going on. Um, so Jesus is talking to the crowds and he tells this story. Um, the disciples say, come up and ask him what it means. And so he goes on to explain it. He says the word or the seed is the word of God being spread out amongst the people. And then he basically paints four different pictures of how people can interact with God's word. Um, I think in this story, I'm going to read it in little chunks, but I think that there are a couple beautiful pictures that are worth pausing and meditating on and appreciating the art of and letting them fill out a little bit bigger in our minds. And that's what I want. I'm going to do that for us here. And then that's what I want you to just hold on to, talk about in your small groups, and then really try to retain as your model for how we're going to dig into God's word this whole semester. The first is that God's word is a seed. In this picture that Jesus is painting, the word of God, this Bible right here that we have in front of us, that we have signed up for a semester to read and study, he's painting the picture of it being like a seed. Think about a seed and all that is encompassed inside a seed. It's this tiny little shell, but there is like a DNA of an entire plant inside this little seed. A few years ago at our women's retreat, I showed, for any of you that were there, I showed a time-lapse video of an acorn underground and it growing, like, you know, those time-lapse videos rapidly speed up this very slow growth process. It it showed um, it opening, the little sprout coming up, pushing through the soil, coming up into this big old 
plant and that and then I showed a picture of a mature full-grown oak tree the DNA of an oak tree those giant oak trees are inside a tiny little seed and Jesus is comparing this Bible that we are holding in our hands to a seed that has the DNA of an entire life plant growth inside of it um, mesh that around in your mind think about how we interact with seeds now think about a seed that we have like what do we do with a seed do we take it and we lay it out in front of us and we like cut it into the little parts and we go well here is the I mean my daughter has done that recently in science but if you're just taking the seed as it is keeping it there outside of soil or an environment putting it on a countertop and just dissecting it and figuring it out I mean yeah I guess you can understand a little bit more about a seed but the glory of a seed is seen in the plant that it becomes, in the growth and in the life when it roots down and buries and draws in nourishment and grows. Um, that's how Jesus is saying God's word is like. You can take it, you can put it on a counter, and you can dissect it and figure out what the verbs and the you know whatever are. But it just stays like that. Or we can let it root and nourish. We can feed it. We can meditate on it. View it as a a seed like burrowing down into our soul and growing up a whole new life inside of us that wasn't there um, with what does it say uh, it changes shape it springs forth with new growth and limbs and eventually uh, as we'll see in the picture that it paints later it bears fruit that feeds other people this is what the word of God can do in our own lives that's beautiful are we approaching God's word like that this semester are we thinking in any way that's what I'm doing when I come here on Thursday mornings, when I open my Bible throughout the week, that there's this seed that has the DNA of new life inside of it, and I'm taking it in. Um, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's another picture of a sword coming in and going here and here. This is alive. Um, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. That's another picture of what God's word is. All of these are very alive imagery of what this word is that we're interacting with. But none of it's saying this is a literal book. Well, I don't even want to get into that. That's not what I mean. I'm not having that conversation of literalism. I mean, this is not a dead text that we're just studying. This is a living and active sword, seed, lamp light to our lives. Um, Okay, the next picture is the conditions that it lands in. Um, And I want you to imagine these pictures being painted and the different things that happen to the seed as it's trying to grow. Okay, so let's actually start reading now. So the first picture that he paints is of the of that seed falling on the path it says and as he sowed some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it and then i'm also going to read so each time i read these descriptions i'm going to read both the first story and jesus's description so then he says in verse 12 the ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved think of the picture of a seed just falling down onto the pavement it bounces a little bit and then it just lays there 
It doesn't grow. It doesn't transform. It doesn't even retain the life inside of it for very long. Um, Think of the waste of that potential if we remember what is inside of that seed ready to spring forth under the right conditions. And now it's just laying, kind of abandoned on the pavement. Isn't it true that sometimes as we read the Bible, or we hear a sermon, or even just a friend speaks truth to us, that we're just kind of numb? That we're just kind of bland to it like a pavement? It doesn't penetrate? Um, I feel like I can see that when I'm having a hard time and a friend, you know, texts me a verse and I'm like, that's sweet, you know? (laughs) Or like with my daughter when she's, you know, insecure and struggling and I'm like, Mace, God made you so beautiful and unique and exactly as he meant. And she's like, thanks mom. You know, like we can be so numb to God's word that it just doesn't even penetrate. And when that happens, we aren't saved from our struggle and our circumstance in that moment. The word of God has no life for us in that moment. It doesn't rescue us from anything. It doesn't heal our hearts from anything. Because we're cut, off, we're shut off to it. We're numb to it. This isn't just talking about the one time the one person got told the gospel and they rejected it, and so now they're not saved. This is talking about us. Anytime we interact with God's word or have truth spoken to us, and we're like, I know. Okay, next. We miss out on the rescuing, life-breathing nature of God's word. Um, okay, the next. I'm going to go through these quickly because I just want to make sure that you guys have a lot of time to chat on your own. All right, the next. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And verse 13, as Jesus explains, it says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, fall away. Okay, isn't it also true about life? If we're interacting with this parable and it's just painting us a picture of something true, isn't it also true that there's just parts of God's word that we love to quote and we think are beautiful and we love to share them. They go down easy. And so we're like, yes, I totally receive that. I love that. Let me write it on a sign and put it in my house. Let me put it on my social media with a beautiful picture and send it out into the world and take it in for myself. But it kind of just stays there. And as far as that's as far as it goes, it doesn't actually dig down and take root. There's no meditation on it. There's no fight to have it press down into the soil of our hearts and drink out of the truth of it and have it change and grow something new out of us. Um, Full honesty, as I was like sitting here thinking on this section and this picture, I was sitting in my house um, right by our fireplace. We have the love is patient sign. It's huge. It's right there. And I'm like... Oh, geez, (laughs) that is a beautiful sign in my home. That is not the picture of my home. That is not the serene, beautiful, loving environment of my home. Most of the time we have five kids. It is crazy. God made me a very fiery, not precious person. And I am not that kind of mom. And I yell and I snap and I stomp. And I'm like looking at this over there going, oh, 
my kids are going to be the ones that are like, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. That was awesome that we had those verses all over our house. Not sure my mom was super loving. I feel like the Lord convicted me in that moment. That is absolutely what I do with that verse. I receive it. I think it's great. I totally know it's true. I want it to be true. But it is literally dehydrated in my life. I am not drinking of that truth. It is not sustaining me in my interaction with my kids in my very long days. And so as the description of what this seed of the word of God does in my life, is it as it like tries to bury down and and find some nourishment and some sustenance in my life, it's not drinking of it. And so it withers and it's kind of frail and thin and weak and thirsty. Can you picture a plant like that? Can you just like let that art and that imagery go for a second? It's like this really limp, I have paper whites on my windowsill and I kill anything that I try to put in my house and it's just limp and it's like, I need water and you never remember to water me. And so it's frail and it just shrivels. God's word can be like that in our lives where we're like, yeah, totally. I believe that, but it's not drinking of anything. And so you try to put anything on top of it. You try to have anything stand on it, and it just smashes. It just wilts. It just gets crushed. It doesn't hold anything. God's word can be like that if we're not watching. All right, so the next, thorns. Um, Keep reading with me. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. In verse 14, Jesus explains and says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. Okay, so now think about the picture of a plant growing in the weeds all around it, growing up and competing for the nutrition and the sustenance of the water and the ground and the vitamins in the ground, and it's all eating from the same bucket. And so... It doesn't mature, and it becomes this very like dwarfed and little plant that doesn't grow strong and huge like it could because it's got all of these other things competing for its, the same nourishment where it's drinking from. Isn't this picture true of how we read the Bible sometimes? We read it and we're like, okay, I hear that truth, and I really do want to cling to it. I really do want to believe it, but... Um, I'm holding this over here that's really important to me, and I'm holding this over here that's really important to me, and if I actually spend any time too long thinking about this, it might actually ask me to drop this thing over here, and so I'm going to just like hold it really loosely while I keep holding this one, and ah, I'm sure that it doesn't mean exactly that. It can't actually in implication mean that, because that would mean that I have to drop this thing on my back, and so I'm just going to like hold it all. I'm going to hold all the verses that I like, and I'm going to hold all of the values and the priorities and the things in my calendar and my things that I spend my money on and the things that I fill my days with. I'm going to hold them all, and and nothing can really touch anything else. Nothing's up for grabs. The Word of God doesn't get to like come in like a sword and divide things and tell me, this isn't working for you. Drop this. Because I want everything. I'm not going in with the intention to weed here, you guys. I don't want to take anything out. Just, you know, give me some extra good stuff. That's what I want from my Bible reading. Just some extra good stuff. But don't, don't come in and mess or rearrange anything. 
That's this picture of interacting with God's word where the thorns and the weeds and the cares of this world are all around it too competing. If we don't allow God's word at times to be like a sword, to be like an illuminating light that tells us, like in James 1.21, James 1.21 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So when we come across verses that come up against and seem like, wait, I'm not sure these two coexist. If we kind of just want to find the middle ground where they can coexist and we go, I don't know. You guys, I'm not here to tell you which things the word of God is going to do that for you in your life in this semester. That's not really my job, but I do believe the spirit is real and he will do that at times. And we know We'll know. You don't even have to worry like, oh no, am I ignoring you, God? You'll know. If you say, Lord, I don't want to be like the thorny soil that's not willing to put anything up for grabs. I hold it all bare before you. That's all. Trust me. He's loud when he wants to be loud if we're willing to listen. It's just when we have the posture and the soil of nothing's up for grabs. I got all my weeds and my thorns in my garden too. Then we won't hear. Um... I love James's description of humbly accepting the word planted in you. Every Thursday morning when we come here, every day of the week in between as we're reading, the word of God is aiming to be planted in us. So if we begin our time reading with it, with this humble posture of, Lord, I'm yours, plant whatever word you're trying to plant in me, that's a posture of a soil that's ready to humbly Accept the word being planted in us. And I love James's words again. I don't think this is talking about a one-time salvation. How true is it that there are so many parts of scripture that save us from ourselves, save our lives in a day as it reroutes and reframes how we see the world and our role in it. Um, okay, and then there's the picture of the healthy soil. Keep reading with me. Uh, And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. Verse 15, as Jesus explains, it says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So now we get to picture a seed doing what it's supposed to do. And I so wish I had that time-lapse picture for you. It falls on soft soil and a humble heart. It roots down. It gathers in the nourishment around it. It takes time as it meditates on it and it germinates. I wish that I was a science major and I could tell you all the actual things that a seed does, but I can't. Um, And then it grows and then it sprouts something new life like that wasn't there is now there. Something that wasn't there is now there. That's the word of God rooting in us, birthing something new that wasn't there as a part of our heart, our life, our character, our experience in this world. Something new is birthed and growing in us, changing us, transforming us. And it's growing and growing and it's changing the shape and the look of our lives and ourselves. And it's bearing fruit that feeds others. That's a beautiful picture. I get kind of chills. 
Now picture that as you come each week over the next 13 weeks to this study, as you read God's word five days a week, every week, and you interact with God's word this semester, that that's what God intends to do in your life. Through something that you read in Luke this semester, maybe I'm the crazy one, but that is not what I usually come to Bible study anticipating. I'm like, all right, sign me up for another semester of Bible study. I'm just checking along and doing my, you know, I know it's good to be in the Bible. I don't come to it with like, what is this brand new life that you have, something not already there, that by the end of this semester is going to be there and rooted and growing something brand new in the shape of me and who I am and how I experience this world and how I am experienced by other people, probably my children. This is ongoing, and we need to stop thinking as we read each of the stories in Luke and each of the parables in Luke. Oh, yeah, I know this one. It means this, and I was this person, and I learned that in sixth grade, and, you know, I got this, and that's what I'll share with my small group. Check. Move on. This is new every time. It's meant to be interacted with every time. Um, It's an ongoing process. It's interesting that when Jesus tells this story to everybody listening, he tells it the first time and then he says, he who has ears, let them hear. And then a lot of people go off and the disciples come back and they go, oh, what did that mean? And why did you, why do you always talk in parables? And he says, the secret's given to you guys because you're the ones who come back and you ask and you seek and you want to know. He wasn't saying you're the lucky ones, I picked you. The rest of them, if they had come and asked, I would have told them, told them to just move on. That doesn't sound like the invitation he just gave. Anybody who wants to hear, you can hear. That's what he said. So when he says later, you know, that confusing thing that a lot of us get, can get hung up on, um, as you read it, it'll say like, so they'd be ever hearing and never perceiving, ever seeing and never understanding or something like that. He's not saying, yeah, I, I made it sound like it's open to everybody, but really it's just you few that are ever going to understand. He's saying anybody who wants to hear can hear. But here's what it looks like. It looks like the disciples coming back, asking, seeking to understand, sitting with Jesus a little bit longer, unpacking it, and saying, I want to hear. I want to understand. I think uh, the end of this parable, well, it's funny because in Matthew this like last sentence that Jesus says is quoted at the beginning of the parable and in Luke it's quoted at the end but the point is he said it right around this same parable right around the invitation anyone who wants to hear hear um, Luke 7:18 he says take care then how you hear for to the one who has more more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. That is not a coincidence that right in that same timing of telling that story about how it's painting this beautiful artistic picture of how people interact with the word of God and the words of Jesus and his invitation, he who has ears, let him hear, that then right afterwards he gives a warning that says, be really careful how you hear, as though there are different ways that we can hear things. It's like my children. Yes, I know that you heard me, but you are not listening. Take care then how you hear, because the one who has more, 
even more will be given. The way that we interact with God's word grows. It's like a living, moving thing that keeps on going. And the more we hear, the more we will hear. And for those who are not listening, even what we think we understand can just wither up and die and stop saving us from ourselves in the way that we interact with this world.